Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Opus Private Client Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I'm really, really excited to have on uh, one of my partners, Rob Pruitt. What's going on, Rob? How are you? Everything's great. A gray day in the Northeast, but spring is on its way. For sure, man. For sure. I'm very excited about that. Today, so Rob, as our in-house investment specialist, retirement planning guru, you know, we're really excited to have you on today to talk a little bit about sort of Opus's position around all of the things, all of the factors as it relates to investing. So the economy and inflation, all of the hot topics that are being discussed out there. So I really wanted to have a conversation with you just so that our audience can learn a little bit more about our overall position and talk a little bit about some strategy that you're implementing now and that we've been implementing you know, over the years for our clients and just kind of go from there. Sounds great. All right. So why don't you just give the audience a little bit of flavor as to kind of like what you're seeing and what our position is overall in the markets? Well, <clears throat> Opus obviously deals with all kinds of clients and everybody's in a different position. However, we're all dealing with the same factors that are existing in our economy, in the marketplace, the challenges for the consumer, the challenges for corporate business in America and around the world. Omicron, supply chain, Russia, Ukraine, it goes on. But the major underlying influences that we have dealt with and will continue to deal with moving forward, the real key ones are inflation and the Federal Reserve and the ECB in Europe driving interest rates and trying to control what is now the highest inflation we've had since the late 70s and the early 1980s. Inflation has gone from kind of a stuck at just under 2% for the last 10 or 14 years to up to 7.5%, almost 8%. And it's making everyone nervous. It's every headline in the paper. And um, everyone's asking about it. And I'm listening and reading and doing everything I can to get a better perspective rather than let the headline risk drive my thinking. And the bottom line is the, the bright people many of whom I try to listen to and read, really think that we're kind of at a peak right now as we are entering the end of March, uh, walking into April. And that peak says that we're going to probably walk back down from 7.5% inflation down to maybe 3 or 4 by the end of the year and probably live with 3 to 4% inflation over the next two to three years, given current inputs and the way to look at the economy. That's not terrible. We have very powerful corporate America right now. They're in great shape. They're making money. They're trying to hire people. Their margins are higher than they've ever been. Corporate America is the secret sauce of driving our economy. It's lots of bright people 
running small, medium, and large businesses. And irrespective of inflation and regulation and taxation and changing political schemes and whatever's being thrown at them, they somehow find a way to recover, adjust, redirect new strategies and make money. Um, I've been through these cycles before. I'm not a young person and I've seen recessions and recoveries. And we had sort of a fake recession given COVID in March, 2020. But boy, did, did business move quickly to inject technology, remote learning, re uh, remote um, uh, work. They became almost more productive in the first year after COVID struck. They, they do what they always do. They get lean and mean. So they drop their, their expense structures. And then what happens? The business recovers, the economy recovers. In this case, it recovered in six to nine months. This is the shortest recession recovery ever. And now businesses are making margins at higher levels than they were before COVID. So you have businesses and now they're paying their workers increased wages of four to 7% higher. They can't get the people they need to run the business and grow it some more. You know, they're making a lot of money, but they can't grow as fast as they'd like to. And then the government has put more money in the hands of the consumer uh, than ever before. They have put more than 40% of the money in the marketplace, the Fed, than, than just before COVID. Imagine all that money sloshing around in our economy. Consumers have gotten healthier. They don't have the debt they had before COVID. They stayed home. They didn't commute as much. They found ways to save money. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty constructive on where we are. We have lots of noise. We have lots of humanitarian crises, especially Russia-Ukraine going on. And we will be attacked and have always been attacked by these kinds of things for our lifetime and for our investing lifetime. So I could talk about this stuff for another hour, but um, a strong consumer, strong corporations, a, a Fed that's trying to thread the needle of raising interest rates and taming inflation without sending us into a recession, and bottom line, Jerome Powell sat in front of all of us a week ago and said, I don't see the U.S. going into recession any time in the next year. And all of a sudden, the markets took off. Right. Right. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you bring up a really good point, right? The, the, the corporations are in, in companies in general and sort of the American public extremely resilient, Right. Figure out a way how to restructure business, how to how to get by, how to make sure we don't have to shut the doors, get really lean and mean. And then, you know, as things start to open back up, you know, businesses start to skyrocket. I mean, the stock market um, has really responded well uh, over the last couple of years. But again, you know, the last the last week or so starting to come back after after uh, Powell you know, made his comments. I, I think you're you're spot on there. It's interesting because if, if you kind of put this in perspective, everybody thinks, feels, and reads the last week, the last month. But we had two terrific market years in 2020 and 2021. And we've had a 450% market recovery since 2008 and And interestingly, everybody thinks, you know, the market's been terrible here in the first part of the year. Well, if you look back a year from the end of last week, the S&P 500 market was up 14%, even though it was down as much as 12 and 8% this year. So year to date, it's down eight. But last week, it was up eight. 
So it went from sort of down 14 to 16, right back to down eight. And most people are saying, you know, we'll get our hands around a lot of this. The, the consumer will feel more free. The COVID response will lessen and people will get out and about. And, and the consumer's dying to get back out there and travel and, and uh, do the things they want to do in their leisure time. So um, there's reason to think that we're up. We have a chance to get back up pretty nicely between now and year end. And you know what? The consumer and the marketplace and all of us will be just like we always were. We almost forgot about the 34% pullback in March of 2020. We almost forgot about all those other roller coaster rides we were on. And that's just what we do as humans. So our, our job as investors is, and as counselors is to remind our clients that it's been a roller coaster ride, but it always ends up higher over time. Yeah, it, it's funny how short memories are oftentimes about, you know, how the markets and the volatility sort of happen, right? I mean, people really, really, truly forget, you know, when they're in the thick of it, they're, it, you know, it's like the sky's falling and then they forget how far down the markets really did go back in 2020. Um, it, it really is super interesting. I mean, you bring up a good point, right? So how do you you know, we've been having this conversation and, and for the audience that's not necessarily our client base currently, like what what are the strategies that you've put in place that you think have fared really, really well throughout the last, you know, several decades, but in particular, you know, the last couple of years? There has been a time, I think ever since 2008 and nine, when you could buy an S&P 500 index fund and do really well for the, eight, then the next eight to 10 to 12 years. So the market sort of moved together. We had a recovery from 2008 and nine in the stock markets. Index funds beat most active managers and the bond market was still in the 20th to 30th years of a bull market in bonds ever since 1981 or 83. So it was fairly easy and people in our, many people in our business and many clients who haven't been investing very long have never experienced 2008 and nine, and they've never experienced declining bond prices. And they've never really experienced a market where it's not all the boats rising in the same tide. The S&P 500 was running almost all the 500 stocks and they were running together for a long period of time. But in the last two or three years, that sort of stopped. The stock market, the SP 500 stocks are everywhere from up 20 to down 70. There is such a huge uh, bifurcation in how stocks have been reacting. In the last 10 years, the top 10 firms in the S&P 500 were all of a sudden worth 20% of the S&P 500. And you know the names, the Fangs and all the big tech companies. They went down 25% in the fourth quarter. They've rebounded somewhat. The tech names that don't have real income and real profit and real growth, they've been shattered. And all the small caps that had a nice little bump in the first part of last year, they got disinvested in again. They were down 35%. So you really, we're really kind of back in a period in time where I believe that we can still have some index investing, but we also need to have some more professional investing to choose sectors, to be proactive, and to make moves to help protect our clients from downside risk and take advantage of opportunity. So my first answer to you is 
this isn't, you know, this isn't um, this, the market we have enjoyed up until a couple years ago since 2008. Uh, the second one would be how we structure our investing for our clients. Clients have two big buckets of investing money. The money that's money that's already theirs, that's in, in, in cash, it's in checking accounts, it's investing accounts, and then cash that's in retirement accounts. And they're very different. The retirement accounts are obviously lo- much longer term investments. They should be in a riskier profile. And depending on how old you are, it's going to be a very long time before you even start to use the money. So let's just stay on retirement for a minute. So I have lots of clients in the, they're 50, 55, 60 years old. And, you know, they're thinking, gee, this retirement money, I, get, I got to start using it because I'm going to change my lifestyle and not work 100% for a living anymore. And that's a great thing. It's an exciting time. But they have to understand that this IRA money, IRA money or 401k money or retirement plan money, it, it's not done. It has another 30 years to go. So when you're 60, you have 30 years of IRA money to still invest and do the right thing with. And when you're 40, you have 50 years. So that money is really long. We always want to keep it invested. We want to stay the course, make changes when you need to make changes. But that's a very uh, long investment that should be probably one of your riskier holdings and be there for the very, very long term. And over time, we'll do well. And so, you know, we don't have to diversify retirement money very much. We just want to do the right thing based on the client's risk profile and, and, and just keep counseling them. This is very long-term money. Keep putting new money in vis-a-vis your uh, Roth opportunity or your 401k at work and, and let that engine just churn for you. So that's the easy answer, right? <laughs> the more challenging answer is the after-tax money sitting in investment and cash and bonds. And now I got to diversify my answer for you a little bit because the 35-year-old, the 50-year-old, the 70-year-old are going to have slightly different answers. And then you lay their risk profile on top of that. But what they're all going to have the same when we work together is they're going to have short liquid funds. They're going to have medium, medium term investments. And even in this non-qualified after-tax, my own money sitting in an investment account, they're going to have a very long one that's probably a seven to 30-year investment account. And the reason this works so well for us and for our clients is that in times like this, when there's a lot of angst and anxiety in the world and headline risk and you know television and cable stations wanting eyeballs and saying whatever they can to get you to watch them, I I would rather counsel my clients and say, you know, leave CNBC alone, pick up the Wall Street Journal once a month and look at the 100-day or the 300-day moving average, and then talk to me and let's look at your three accounts. Let's look at your liquidity accounts. Let's look at your two- to six-year money, and let's look at your seven- to 30-year money. Now, I had a call, a nice call this morning with a young couple. They're getting married in September. They are both beautiful young professionals. They're making nice money. And guess what they're doing? They're building those three buckets, the liquidity, the two to six, and the seven to 30. They don't have any money for the seven to 30 yet, but they didn't really understand how much liquidity money they really need. Liquidity money is what do you need in the next 12 to 24 months to live your life, to cover yourself if you're out of a job for six months, um, to have that down payment on your first home if that's what you're working towards, 
uh, to pay for your wedding is your, or your, if your parents aren't paying for all of it. So that liquidity money is really important to everyone. It means something different to young people. It means something different to a 50-year-old. And it means something even almost more important to a retiree who says, gosh, if the market's down 20%, I don't want to touch that money. I need to go elsewhere to get money. So that liquidity bucket has to be pretty deep depending on where you are in life. So I'll kind of leave it there and let you come back at me. But though that construct of short liquid, medium and long allows my clients, no matter what part of their life, to sleep at night. And when they call, they go, Rob, you know, obviously my liquidity money hasn't gone anywhere. It's worth what it was worth a month ago. I said, yeah, that's right. And the 20% down market move in stocks and down five in bonds this year didn't cause the medium one to move more than about four to 6%. Are you okay with that? And if you're not, we'll readjust it going forward, but usually they are. And now the you know, long account isn't down the whole you know, 20% uh, and 5% for bonds. It's down on a mixed rate of 10 to maybe 13%, depending on how they're risked. And my clients learn more and more over time, and our clients learn more and more over time, that this is a good way to be in the market, to stay in the market, know that your long money is going to move more aggressively, but I can wait for it to recover, know that I've got liquidity and my earnings and my income um, that's going to keep me afloat and, and let me live my lifestyle and keep doing whatever I plan to do. And um, in the best of both worlds, all, all, almost all of these clients have incremental cash flow that are continuing on a disciplined basis to go into their savings programs and just yeah. elevate their assets. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, what, it really, what it really comes down to in the conversation I always have with my clients on this uh, sort of bucketing approach, right, is the liquid short-term cash puts you in a position of strength, right? You know, when, when the market's not doing so well, if you have cash on hand that you're not necessarily going to need, well, that's a great time to be able to pull those dollars into the market, invest it, and buy when it's low, right? And, you know, if I need something during that period of time, I don't need to sell liquidity. You know, I don't need to sell my midterm bucket off, you know, at a loss to go fund something else that I need. You know, getting back to this inflation inflation conversation, right? So, you know, one of the major increases in, in inflation expense this year, you know, according to the CPI was used cars and new cars. If you're in the market because you need a new car, right? You have two options. A new car, the inflation increase was 12.4% and used cars in 2022 was 41.2% in the CPI. So, if you've got fresh cash that you don't necessarily need to sell anything for, then maybe you can afford to buy a new car this year because the used car, frankly, is going to cost you a hell of a lot more than the new car was going to cost, right? So you can start to combat some of these things like inflation if you have that short-term cash reserve available to you, right? So you don't have to be subjected to some of these other things or, you know, you're able to stock up. If you're a business, you're able to stock up on some of the goods that are increasing in cost every year, right? If I'm a business owner and I have plenty of cash on hand or access to liquidity, well, maybe I can start to 
buy fuel at a cheaper cost because I can buy it bulk. So the inflation rate doesn't hit me as hard. You know, if I'm a store owner and I have apparel that's at 6.6% inflation, you know, maybe I can buy bulk and maybe get that down to three, right? So I think cash on hand, both for individuals and families, but also business owners, it puts you in a position of strength to be able to act um, fast and you know more strategic than if you didn't have that right if you were panicking because the market was down in a shorter period of time and you know the my wedding is coming up and i put all of my money into you know the s p because i wanted to try to make it grow before before the date right I've, I've heard that before so i think that bucketing approach has been super successful for for your clients for our clients for us as individuals i think um you know it resonates a ton you know what are the what are the other things that you've been thinking about recently as it relates to inflation or you know is that something that you're planning around is there something that folks can do you know in regards to some of these things what, what's your thought well we're not sitting still and i think you guys would agree with me that over the last five or eight years we've been in a very low interest rate environment and the reason that businesses are in good shape and consumers are in good shape and now we need to figure out how to react to a changing environment. Think about this. Businesses got to restructure all of their debt over the last five or eight years. They got to retire their four and five and six percent bonds and go back out in the marketplace and replace them with one, one and a half, two percent bonds. You know, if I'm a medium-sized large business, wow, you talk about cash, Yvonne, I don't have to use half as much cash as I used to to service my debt. What did the consumer do? They went out and refied their homes. They went out and bought their first home. They got, you know, I, have a, I have clients who've got mortgages under 3% in the last year and a half. And they refied and they went out and you know cash out refi. And they did a lot of moves to, to Im- improve and help their cash position and retire their bad debt, their credit cards and other things. The consumer has less debt than they've had in a very long time. So I feel so good when I meet with clients and when we see our clients and we say, wow, look at, the, look at how much progress you've made. Look at how we've built the buckets. Look at how you've reduced your debt. Look at how we've reduced your interest expense on what you do carry as good debt, which is you know, home mortgages. And now, boy, you're in such a much better position and you're not using as much money for mortgage and living expenses as you were prior to COVID and prior to having when you had a higher mortgage. So now we're in a very different position where we can really be cheerleaders and really work on incremental savings. And, it, and when we talk about inflation and how it's knocking down market expectations and we're going to have volatility and there's going to be you know a rough ride here, but not necessarily all down. It's a rougher ride, but it's going to still go up. So what's the rougher ride do for us? It gives us entry points. And if clients are putting new money into their 401k every month, they are by default putting more money in at at, at prices on sale. And if we are sitting here with dry powder and more cash than they need, because they got a big bonus or or they just got a a new job or a, a raise, and we're always looking for, you know, where's that extra cash flow that we can put to work for you and still keep you liquid, well, boy, there have been some nice entry points. We never know exactly where the bottom is, but I just show them a, a curve of the last five and 10 years of returns. Does it really matter exactly where you got on the curve? No, you're still, gonna, you're still up. 
Now, you, you know, and one, one got in at X and one got in at Y, and so one's up 22% and the other's up 19 But those are both good stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. You bring up the mortgage piece. I mean, we jo- Joanna and I just uh, just built this home over the last couple of years, and we I financed as much as we could possibly finance, right? I wanted to use as much of the bank's money at 2.75% for a 30-year fixed as long as I can possibly do it. It's It's extremely cheap money. Right. So a lot of folks were able to do some of the same things and get rid of their debt and and refinance at lower rates. Um, But we're starting to see those things creep up now. It's funny because I think the headline is is really driving a lot of the chatter, which is, you know, rates are skyrocketing. But I remember when rates were, you know, when I would when I when I would first look at some a client's profile and the rate was at you know five and a half percent, and I thought that was a fantastic mortgage rate. You know what I mean? So people forget where the you know the where the the rates used to be and what was considered to be a, a competitive mortgage rate, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, and, and so I think everything's sort of in context and, and nowadays, as you said, you know, being able to restructure debt decreases the cost of living, right? Decreases the cost of their overall expenses. And now hopefully they can reallocate some of those, some of that excess cash flow towards this different bucketing approach that we had talked about. So they can be strategic around battling things like inflation, you know, challenging markets, all of those other things. And, and, and life will continue to, to kind of move on. I think you're exactly right. And congratulations on catching the bottom of the mortgage curve. I, I appreciate At 2.75. That. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yes. I, listen, I'm a little older than you. My first mortgage was 14.2% in 1981. <laughs> And that's a great curve to show clients where yeah. mortgage rates were over all that period of time. It's a great, it's a great thing to show that four and a half, which is where most $750,000 tax deductible mortgages are right now. Jumbos are obviously more, but the first $750,000 you can write off on your taxes if you itemize. And that means that four and a half percent, if you're in a fairly high bracket, doesn't really cost you four and a half. Mm-hmm. And Yvonne, your 2.75 doesn't really cost you 2.75. You can discount right. it by your effective tax rate. And so you are so right that getting money from a bank at three, three and a half, four, four and a half, even five for 30 years with inflation at seven and a half. And probably inflation over the next few years at three and a half or four percent. And then the tax deductibility, it's almost like they're paying you. It's hard (laughs) to think of it that way, but it's almost like they're paying you. And so you have to, we have to still feel good and be uh, positive about our clients continue to operate, refi, buy homes, trade up. Uh, I think nationally, homes are up 16 percent in the last year in their underlying value. Mm-hmm. Uh, clients are doing absolutely the right thing. This is the only place in America that a you know middle income couple can have leverage and make money. They have to put down twenty cents on the dollar to buy a home. They leverage it with eighty percent borrowed money at a very attractive rate from a bank. And if the home goes from uh, four hundred thousand to five hundred thousand over a period of time. The hunt, the you know eighty thousand they put down on the four hundred thousand dollar home has just gotten a hundred grand worth of appreciation. Their eighty has more than doubled, 
And oh, by the way, they're paying their mortgage, so they've paid down some principal. It, it, is the, it has obviously always been and will continue to be, even at 6% mortgage rates or whatever we go back to, uh, the very best and first place for you know, families in America to get their assets growing and building and, and invested. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, as we sort of wrap up this conversation, um, what are, what's the last thing you want to leave or anything in particular you want to make sure that the audience kind of takes away from the conversation today? Um, don't be scared of inflation. The economy and the consumer are strong. They'll be able to manage around a 3 or 4% inflation bubble here for a period of time. Even if it stays 3 or 4 for the next 10 years, we'll be okay. And the consumer will be okay. Um, corporations are doing more than okay. They're going to be fine. The other thing that's kind of, I think, really fascinating is that while the U.S. has really hung in there the last 14 years since 2008, and had a wonderful recovery with some very strong markets over the last five or six, the rest of the world really hasn't. So as I think about all of us and all of our clients as being global investors, uh, you know, Europe has never really had the 30% bounce. They're, they're discounted 30% behind the U.S. market. And, uh, you know, obviously their corporate makeup over there is value, cyclical, manufacturers. There's not a, you know, it's not 20% of the markets in 10 names, all high-tech, high-flying uh, companies. So not tomorrow, not next week, but, you know, start getting back into the international market, start getting back into emerging markets. The re this COVID thing is starting to wane around the world. Hopefully the Russian-Ukraine pressure and the, and the energy uh, potential compression on, on Europe will not be too severe, will not last terrible too much longer. We all certainly pray and hope. But, but feel good, feel optimistic. Long term, you've got your short money, you've got your medium money. Let's get that. Let's feel good about that long term money. And it's got a it's got a chance to go because the U.S. is going to hang in there. It already grew really nicely in the last number of years. It's hanging in there in very tough times. And the rest of the world is going to try to catch up. And it's act the rest of the world people think is going to produce seven to ten percent over the next three to five years, while the U.S. cranks out four to six percent. And they think emerging market will start slow and then beat both of those. So reasons to be optimistic, reasons to, to continue to trust the consumer to spend money where they need and want to spend it. Uh, services are only up five percent year to year in an inflationary capacity. Your used car thing will bubble back down and be okay. Yep. Food and housing yep. will, will calm down. Corporate America and world and corporate corporations around the world will keep doing well. Huge demographic growth in China, in India that will drive economies in the middle class around the world. It's it's hard to read the papers every day and watch the headlines and feel positive, but I'm telling clients this this is an opportunity. I don't want you to go crazy and put your short and medium money into the long bucket overnight. But I do want you to feel good about where you are. Let's shore up the, the short and medium if we need to. Uh, but keep investing your 401k and your IRA and your long money. And um, if anything, let's turn up the risk reward volume a little bit. And um, let's move forward and let's, let's go win together. 
Sounds great. Well, Rob, as always, your wealth and knowledge. I love having you on. To the listening audience, thank you for tuning in. Uh, We will be uh, continuing this inflation conversation on our next episode as we uh, bring on an expert in oil and gas to talk a little bit about what makes up the price of gasoline um, and how to sort of hedge your bets there. So uh, excited about that conversation. Rob, again, thank you so much uh, to the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in. You can click below to subscribe to get notified when we have future episodes. Thanks so much. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investing in the bond market is subject to certain risks, including market interest rate, issuer, credit, and inflation risk. Equities may decline in value due to both real and perceived general market, economic, and industry conditions. Investing in securities of smaller companies tends to be more volatile and less liquid than securities of larger companies. Investing in foreign securities may involve heightened risk, including currency fluctuations, less liquid trading markets, greater price volatility, political and economic instability, less public available information, and changes in tax or currency laws. Such risks may be enhanced in emerging markets. S&P 500 index is a market index generally considered representative of the stock market as a whole. The index focuses on a large cap segment of the U.S. equities market. Indices are unmanaged and one cannot invest directly in an index. Yvonne Watanabe and Rob Pruitt are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Rob's California License Number 0I88914. Compliance Approval 2022-136154 expires April of 2024.